Welcome to another episode of Electable. I'm Deb Chubb, and our podcast is sponsored by the Indiana Women's Action Movement. Um, today, we are just uh, thrilled to be with Mayor Tom McDermott, who is running for U.S. Senate in Indiana. So this is such a huge uh, race, and this is such an important race, and we're going to talk about that. Um, but first, uh, if you could just give us a little bit of background about you, Mayor McDermott, tell us where you come from, you know, uh, and where and why you're running. First off, thank you, Deborah, for inviting me to your podcast. I appreciate it very much. Um, my name is Tom McDermott. I've been the mayor of Hammond for the last 18 years. I was elected when I was 34 years old, uh, and I'm running for U.S. Congress against Todd Young. Um, a little bit about myself. I grew up in Northern California, actually. Uh, my mother and my father were divorced when I was very young. So I grew up with my mother and my two sisters in California. And every summer I went out to my father's family uh, that was located in Hammond, Indiana, funny enough. And I did that my entire childhood. Uh, so I became very familiar with Hammond, Indiana, uh, with Indiana, with politics, because my dad was in politics when I was a young man. And I also uh, you know, grew up in California with my mother and you know, she was a single mom most of the time and how hard that was. So I feel like actually, not that that was an education, but I think it really helps me a lot currently uh, growing up in a situation like I did, seeing the good and the bad. You know, my dad did very well and my mom, my mom struggled and she was a secretary and I think it was good for me as a whole person, as a candidate. So I've always tried to lead with those thoughts in mind. That's excellent. And so, and um, uh, tell us your educational background. Uh, I'm a lawyer. I went to the University of Notre Dame. That's where I got my uh, my law degree. Uh, before that, I was a PNW finance major, uh, Purdue Northwest. Mm -hmm. um, and before that, I, well, when I was 18 years old, I graduated from high school and joined the United States Navy for six years, which was really my primary education. Taught me how to be an adult, taught me how to be a man, taught me how to be an electrician, which mostly through my 20s, I was an electrician and the Navy taught me that trade, which is nice. Um, it's funny how much I've forgotten. I, I can hardly change a light bulb now, but at one time <laughs> I was really good with my hands at one time, but so now I'm, uh, I'm not, I mean, I'm a lawyer, I'm a licensed practice law in the state of Indiana, but I don't really practice much. I'm uh, more an executive as the mayor, you know, it's an important job. We have a thousand employees and a lot of issues that come to the mayor and I'm their full-time elected mayor. So. That's great. Wow. You, you do have a good background. You know, I was a single mom and, uh, and I know many women who are single moms and, you know, it's a real disadvantage, uh, you know, financially, uh, educationally, career-wise, uh, it's, it's, it's very tough. And, um, and it really, um, you know, it bothers me. My parents got divorced when I was very young too. When my parents got divorced, my mom couldn't get a credit card in her name. She couldn't get the utilities turned on in her name. It yeah. was, you know, it's, it's really, I mean, it's more than a disadvantage. It's, you know, it's outright discrimination, but when, um, I, when I was, I remember when I was very young, I didn't mean to interrupt you, dad, but right. when I was, I mean, it, it's the mid seventies towards the late seventies. And at that time I was one of the very few kids I knew that whose dad didn't live with him. I mean, my dad wasn't even really in the picture. He was across the country and I'm not saying he wasn't part of my life because every summer I did stay out there, but I always felt that pain growing up knowing that my mom and my dad were separated by 2000 miles. And that was always tough on me, but I think it made me tougher as a person. And I became more independent because I did fly back and forth. And back in those days, I'd fly to Chicago by myself. I was basically six and seven years old. You could do that back then. Yeah, 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 wow. All right, well, let's get on to the um, Senate race. So, sure. um, so 
Tell us why this is such an important race. We have two U.S. senators from Indiana, both Republicans, both very conservative, uh, both pretty much, and correct me if I'm wrong, towing the line as a Trumpist. Um, that is to say, the you know the election was rigged, or, or, um, and um, mm-hmm. which is you know just carrying on the big lie. Uh, I right. remember seeing Todd Young on January sixth. Uh, you know, I was watching this uh, like everybody else on Twitter, pretty much. Uh, you know, and and he was wearing his military um, like you know jacket, his his army camouflage jacket. jacket. Yeah, and was out there, you know, talking to you know the protesters and you know you know chatting and saying, yeah, yeah, you're right. And, <laughs> So Deborah, anyway, you know, that, I'm, I'm so glad you picked up on that because I picked up on that also. And I thought it was strange timing for Todd Young to be wearing his military camouflage, which is like that's like signal like you're going to war. And right. on January 6th, he chose that day to wear that to the U.S. Senate. So I, I asked this question and his people got back to us and said this was his military jacket. That's this is what he wore when he was in the Marines. And that is not true. I could tell that's not a military jacket he was wearing. So I thought that was very strange also that he wore camouflage on January 6th. I'm, yeah, I'm glad I mean, you pointed that out. Yeah, I mean, and that's not, certainly that's not what you wear to the Senate. I mean, and that's the Surely only not. time I've seen him wear, wear that. Uh, I promise you, if when I become your Senator, I'll never wear camouflage to the U.S. Senate, okay? <laughs> all right, well, good, good. That's, that's a good start. <laughs> Step one. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, all right, so tell us why um, this Senate seat is so important. Well, in a lot of ways, it's about relevance, too, because Indiana, even though, you know, Barack Obama won Indiana in 2008, and even though we've elected senators that were Democrats and we have mayors of big cities that are Democrats, the Republican Party in Indiana acts like we don't exist and the people that feel like us don't matter. And that's just it's an arrogance that needs to be eliminated. And that's definitely one of the reasons I'm running. Okay, is I'm a good candidate. You know, there's thousands of millions of people in Indiana that feel about I do it the same way I do on issues that are important. Right. And yet the Republican supermajority and the Republican Party in Indiana wants to act like we don't exist and our opinions don't matter. So in a lot of ways, it's about relevance, Deb, Deborah. And, and also, in my opinion, the U.S. Senate is broken. Um, the filibuster is not needed anymore because because of party politics. People are refusing to even consider opposing thoughts. And I don't think our founding fathers had that in mind when they created the, you know, the Senate. And quite frankly, the, the filibuster was not part of the Senate when the founding fathers put together our country, but we made that up ourselves since then. And we've changed the Senate because, you know, back in the you know, 1800s and 1900s, women couldn't vote. Uh, African-Americans couldn't vote. And, and quite frankly, we couldn't even elect our senators as citizens. And we changed the rules. So when you look at the Senate and, and you're talking about an issue like the filibuster, why can't we change it? The place is broken, you know, and I, and I want to be a disruptive force. Well, that's excellent. Yeah. Um, and you're so right. And when you say broken, um, you know, we need to break that down a little bit and talk about that. Um, you know, the fact is that uh, if you can, if you don't have 60 senators in agreement on a bill uh, and you're a Democrat, <laughs> um, then it doesn't even come up for a vote. Uh, That's right. You know, and it's really so it's just the threat of a filibuster can stop a bill, which is just ludicrous to me. It's like you don't even have to actually do the filibuster. You don't have to actually stand up there and talk until, you know, you fall over and, you know, and the session's over. Important bills like voting rights. 
right? Voting rights legislation that'll help, you know, that'll prevent gerrymandering of the districts, congressional races and, and state races, right? Uh, things that'll make voting easier, you know, and things that'll, uh, man, you know, mandate things like early voting so that more people could participate. This is what our country is built on, these ideas, and, and we're trying to pass it, and it's just not going to be considered because the Republican Party as a whole refuses to acknowledge it. That's broken. Right. That's broken. And right. these are the types of, and I realize it cuts both ways that that rule protects us when we're in the minority, but, but we need our Congress to work. We need the House to work and it appears to be working and we need our Senate to work and it's not working right now. And, you know, and then I think America, it's better. And it hasn't worked for a long time. And I want to talk a little bit more about the, I think it's, is it the Freedom to Vote Act? I can't remember which one it is. But um, the one, I mean, because I don't think people really understand all of the great things that are in that bill. Um, it, you know, um, independent redistricting commissions for congressional uh, districts. That's right. Um, mm-hmm. uh, getting rid of a lot of dark money in, mm-hmm. uh, in campaigns, you know, campaign yeah. finance reform, which, you know, has to happen. Oh, my gosh. Um, and then, of course, um, you know, uh, voting protections. And um, there was another one in there that I thought was so important. Um, Oh, I can't think of it now. But anyway, but, but, it's a great bill. It is a great bill. But the problem is it's not in the Republican Party's best interest to let a bill that makes it easier to vote proceed. So as right. a whole, they block this. And it's not the only issue they're blocking like that. But when they block any progress on this bill, then we're stuck with the status quo, you know, and it's time for us to get bold as a party. I think, you know, that's another thing about us over the years, we tend to be more sophisticated and dignified in the way you know we campaign. And I think it's time to play by the Republican rules. When Barack Obama was president of the United States, he put up a U.S. You know, he put up Merrick Garland to be a U.S. Supreme Court justice, and, and the you know Republican Party as a whole refused to even acknowledge his appointment. And that's not right. Now we have the U.S. Supreme Court about to make a huge decision on Roe versus Wade in June, and you know. We got a lot of problems in Washington, D.C. And when you have people like Todd Young that just toes Trump's line, you know, when Donald Trump tells Todd how to think, Todd thinks that way. It doesn't matter. Hoosiers don't matter anymore to Todd Young. You know, we don't have money and we're not Donald Trump. And we need to teach him that the, the bosses are the Hoosiers, the voters. And that's who I'll represent. That's awesome. That's awesome. OK, um, what else do we need to know about your campaign? Well, you know, it's interesting when you file to run for U.S. Senate, you get pulled in three directions immediately. First, I have everybody calls me up and says, you have to talk to so-and-so right. like right now because they're vitally important. And then you, literally there's about 200 phone calls that you have to make on the same day that you announce. Next, they go, Todd Young just raised $5 million. <laughs> you get, you got to start raising money, Mayor. Yeah. And, you gotta, and, and then they compare what I could raise, which is like a couple hundred thousand so far. And they're like, how are you going to beat Todd Young when he raises 5 million and you raise 200,000? I got that obstacle to get over. And then third, in Indiana, we have this rule that says if you run for U.S. Senate, uh, you have to get 500 signatures per congressional district. And this is the deadline and that is February. So in my opinion, the most important thing I'm doing right now, and not that the other two aren't vitally important, I'm still doing them, but we're focusing most of our attention right now in the campaign on getting those 500 signatures for congressional district so that we could be on the ballot. Cause if I'm not on the ballot, I can't beat Todd young. Yeah. So, um, that was, um, one of the issues with Todd young was that, uh, he was in charge of the Senate fundraising something or other club. 
and so really raised a ton of money. Um, and, you know, this is why we do have to pass that bill. We have to get some of this money under control in politics. I think uh, it's because really- we're not important. We're not important anymore. If you're not writing, if you're not bundling millions of dollars together for Todd Young, he doesn't listen to you. He doesn't respect you. And that's not how it's supposed to be. And, you know, when they want to compare me, I'm not going to raise as much money as Todd Young, but my money comes from Hoosiers and it comes and, and they're not billionaires and millionaires. They're, they're people that are donating 50 and hundred and two hundred dollars to my campaign. And when you add all that up, you get a lot of support, you get a lot of votes and it's going to help me get to where I need to be. So um, uh, and, and another uh, issue, I think, is that Republicans are really targeting Congressional District one, which is your stronghold. Uh, you know, that's where you're from. That's where your base is. And so I think um, I, I, I want to say it. I want to put it out there because I, I worry that Democrats are not prepared <laughs> um, to really, um, you know, take on the Republicans in Congressional District 1. It's been a Democratic district for, I don't know, 40 years anyway. And so um, people have come to take it for granted a little bit. Mm -hmm. And so uh, Democrats are really going to have to get on their game and, uh, you know, step up uh, in Congressional District 1, I think, to really make, you know, make that successfully a Democratic district. I agree with you. I think we will. Uh, Frank Mervan, the congressman in, in the first congressional district, is a good candidate. He's a tough candidate. Um, he beat me in a field with 18 other candidates. Um, and I, I think Frank will hold his own very well. Frank also made some key votes that helped Indiana a lot. You know, him and Andre Carson both voted to approve ARP funding. And in the city of Hammond, ARP was, you know, the city of Hammond received about $50 million for infrastructure work. And the school city received another 40 million. I mean, $90 million for the city of Hammond because of Andre Carson, the congressman from Indianapolis, and Frank Mervan, the congressman from the first. People are going to remember that also. So I know the Republicans are licking their chops thinking that they got a shot in the first congressional district, Deborah, but I really don't think that's going to happen. I think Frank is looking to get reelected and he knows he's a hard worker. I can tell you that I watched him with my own eyes. <laughs> we had a tough race, him and I, and I respect Frank and I think Frank respects me, but I, I think you'll see that he'll prevail next November. Excellent. Excellent. Okay. So I want to ask you, um, you know, when you get to the Senate, what is the first bill that you would like to introduce and get passed? Hmm. That's a really good question. I like infrastructure bills. Um, I like the voting rights legislation, and I'm hoping that it's taken care of before I get there. But because I think our democracy is under attack, I think that if the voting rights legislation, it, it's not successfully passed, you know, which means they probably they would have to change the filibuster to do that. That would definitely be the first bill I would like to take up and get passed because democracy is under attack, Deborah. And it shouldn't be harder to vote, especially as technology gets better and better. It should be easier to vote. And instead, you know, it's the it's the 2022 version of the Jim Crow laws. You know, a lot of the supermajorities and a lot of the Republican Party wants to make it harder and harder to vote. And that's not what our forefathers had in mind when they created this great country of ours. It should be easier to vote. Right. Um, and so, you know, when you talk about the decline of democracy, I think, you know, the Indiana state legislature is really uh, a really very good example <laughs> Um, because, you know, the supermajority, uh, those legislators, those Republican legislators can introduce and pass bills um, without a, you know, without a Democrat in the House. You know, they can not even be present and still can you know, get a quorum. That's what the supermajority means. They can get a quorum and they can pass bills without any input from Democrats. And 
they now, because they've gerrymandered those districts so well, they can pass any bill without, you know, the, without even support from their constituents um, and still get elected. Um, we mm-hmm. have several examples of that in Indiana. Um, small, um, you know, passing, uh, you know, the permitless carry um, bill um, when his own survey showed that his constituents did not support that. You're right. So, so you know, like, so this is like really the, you know, you're like, okay, this is the end of democracy <laughs> when well, you don't even, you can't even be held accountable by your constituency. <laughs> it's a great point you make also that when you have districts that are gerrymandered so much like they are across the state of Indiana and you make the other party, you know, irrelevant. So basically you have no chance of losing in November. The only chance you have of losing if you're a legislator now is in May to a primary, which encourages the office holder to be even more pure, you know, go further to the right to make the hardcore base of your party happy because you don't fear losing in November. You know, when our district should be drawn closer to 50-50 so that the best candidate can be chosen by the district, regardless of whether they're Republican or Democrat. And quite frankly, I'm a mayor. They can't redistrict me. All right. I have to represent my city and I focus on them and on the issues that are important there. You know, and I think that, you know, the, the legislature, you know, they shouldn't be picking their bosses. So. Right. And so we certainly don't want to see that kind of thing happening at the federal level, which in some cases it seems to be happening, um, mostly, I guess, because of money. When you think of um, McConnell in Kentucky, um, you know, how does that guy keep getting reelected? Uh, the, you know, it's one of the poorest states in the country. Um, people suffer there more than in most states. And yeah. yet he is not at all interested in bringing anything to his own constituents and can still get reelected. <laughs> yeah, it has to do with money also, Deborah. I mean, we both know it that you look at a guy like, you know, Mitch McConnell, you look at a guy like Todd Young and they could raise millions of dollars. That's, you know, I'm starting from, it's funny. I, I was describing it to my team as we're starting a campfire and we're using sticks and we're rubbing sticks together. And then you start getting a small flame. Todd snaps his finger and money just pours in. You know, and it's hard to compete with that from where we're starting from. But this is how you can't be on the ballot. You can't win unless you're on the ballot. You know, I can't raise money as a candidate unless, you know, I'm on the ballot. So we're focusing on the most important thing right now, which is getting those signatures turned in. And and quite frankly, I know you have a lot of people across the state that are listening. And if they want to help out, they can go to gomcdermott.com and sign the petition and get me on the ballot. And I appreciate it very much. Is there an electronic um capacity for that or you have to walk of course you, you not a piece of paper oh, okay yeah piece of paper no right. i mean that would be technology advancement that would be you know and quite frankly that's where we're deficient and in indiana especially is they don't want them they the republican supermajority that calls the shots they don't want it to be easier to vote they don't want to move forward and, and allow electronic voting and things like that because that would mean more democrats would probably show up to vote and that's not good for business if you're in a republican supermajority and right. you know and that's dude that's not democracy that's not the intent of the framers of our you know constitution and our former government it's just selfishness right yeah uh so and i uh, you know the trend now is for republican candidates to be filing for all these kind of obscure positions uh that really have the you know kind of their thumb on you know on the scale in and mm-hmm. uh in producing election results um, so we do in Indiana have a terrific um, Secretary of State candidate. I'm so excited yeah. about uh, Destiny Scott Wells is wonderful. She is tough and smart, and uh, she, uh, you know, and she is 
you know, committed to protecting democracy. Uh, I'm, and, I'm honored to be running with her. So yeah. I'm, I'm a supporter of hers as well. Can't wait to campaign with her. I think she's yeah. great. And it's two veterans already on the ticket. That's that's a good start. Yeah. So um, so those are the kind of positions that are so important. And it's interesting when you talk about, you know, the money issue, how we are kind of like, you know, we're right on the edge. We, you know, we almost have enough senators to pass the bill that gets rid of some of that money, but not quite. And if we don't get that bill passed, then we will fall much further down this, you know, this vortex of um, money, you know, dark money, running governments, running campaigns, um, and, and, and it becoming less and less of a democracy. So, you know, it's interesting. I've always run state races and, and I raise state money and the way we do it in Indiana and becoming a federal candidate and seeing the way the feds do it as far as individual contributions and electronic submissions. Actually, the FEC does a really good job in that regard. As a candidate, I wish Indiana did it more like the feds do, because if you want to see how much money I raise and who I get it from, you just go on to FEC.gov. And you type in my name and it pops up, which is the way it should be. In Indiana, there's nothing like that. It's all paper and pencil still. Okay. So like in that regard, I think the feds do it the right way. However, where it gets really murky is with the dark money, like you said, the super PACs where, you know, our $2,900 donations get just drowned out by some huge corporation that drops billions, you know? Right. Right. Yeah, that's and, the problem. And I, I, I know this is really uh, it's just an awful thing to think about, but there really is this uh, system of uh, straw straw persons who are being engaged uh, to uh, obviate the um, campaign donation maximum mm -hmm. limits, and yeah. um, and that's really frightening. Um, people um, and, and at the state level, people coming you know from out of state, um, you know, just you can't keep you know a, a woman from ne Nebraska you know, makes a $50,000 donation to a state uh, legislative uh, candidate. You know, it's like, what, who is this? Right. And, you know, where, and you know, and, and there are some other, you know, tracking on that to show that there's really a lot of straw persons uh, involved right. in getting money to those candidates without hitting the, the maximum donations. So, okay, good. So, um, so uh, you've already said one thing that people can do to help, and that is, of course, to uh, contact the campaign and help get signatures onto the petition so that you can be on the ballot. Uh, yes, ma'am. And um, are there particular areas in Indiana that you really need more help? Well, it's easy just to say all of them right now, but when you think about it, where the Democrats are strong, you know, Indianapolis, obviously, we're going to be all right in the region. You know, first congressional district, I think we'll be fine. South Bend, we appear to be fine. We knocked on doors in Fort Wayne this past weekend with an army of volunteers, and we got most of our signatures. That doesn't mean we're done in the third congressional district, but it was effective, actually. We hit the ground in Fort Wayne with data of Democratic households and pounded on doors, and we got almost uh, 400 signatures that day. But we Excellent. still need some in the third district. But so when you think about the Democratic strongholds, we're doing well there. But it's better just to say, please go to McDermott, uh, uh, com and, and then it has information on how you can do that for us. All right, great. OK, so I do want to ask you about some women's issues, too, because I know that sure. this is, I know this is important to you. And it um, is. there is other there are other bills sitting around waiting. The Violence Against Women Act um, was um, not. Uh, reauthorized. Uh, and there, um, the other bill, um, you know, legalizing abortion, protecting women's right to, you know, make their own choices about their own lives and their own bodies. 
um, mm-hmm. is sitting out there too, um, getting nowhere. And um, tell us about those bills and how you can well, uh, further those well, issues. Violence Against Women Act, I mean, who wouldn't support a bill with that concept and eliminating domestic violence and, and giving women rights that are victims of, obviously I'd be supportive of that and I would do everything I can to help move that issue along. Um, and when you talk about abortion and the choice movement and you know women's rights being under attack right now, I'm a sympathetic supporter as well. Uh, I was talking earlier about how Merrick Garland on the Supreme Court right now should be a reality, if not for the Republicans blocking which is ridiculous because that's not how yeah. our forefathers intended, you know, that process to go down. I think Merrick Garland should be a U.S. Supreme Court justice. I think the Republican Party cheated the Democratic Party out of that. And I think it's vitally important right now because of Dobbs uh, versus the Jackson Women's Clinic decision that's going to be decided in June. And by most accounts, it's expected to overrule Roe versus Wade which will have serious ramifications on women in Indiana because we know our state will be one of the first that outlaws mm-hmm. abortion and forces women, Hoosier women, to go to places like Illinois to get their procedures done, if they could afford it, if that's oh, even yeah. feasible for them. You know, some women, that's not feasible. And what are your options? I, I think that 50 years of precedent is important. I'd like to point out that Senator Todd Young put three of those justices on the Supreme Court that are going to vote to overturn Roe. I think he should be held accountable for it because he's bragging to his base that he's going to make the right to have an abortion in Indiana illegal. He's bragging to his base about it. So he should be held accountable to our base for the same reasons. Cause I don't think 50 years of precedent should be overturned like that. I think that that's not the purpose of the U S Supreme court. And what happened is a stain on the U S Supreme court's history. And if what happened, what we think is happens happens in June, women's reproductive rights will be under attack. And all I want to say is where does it end? Cause if right. they could take women, if they could take women's rights of privacy by not giving them the right to have an abortion, then they could also, under the right to privacy, eliminate same-sex marriage. That's not a stretch. It's also oh, protected no. constitutionally under the you know right to privacy. And if the Republican supermajority and if the Republican National Party could take that right, they could also take the right to for states to recognize civil marriages, same-sex marriages. Absolutely. In fact, it's in uh, the amicus uh, brief uh, by uh, our own Indiana guy. Bob, right? Is that his name, Bob? Mm-hmm. Something like. And anyway, yeah, it's in there. It's it. That's the that it's already included. Uh, Same sex marriage is already uh, included in that line of thinking. So, good. um I mean, good uh, and bad. I mean, I'm yeah. glad we're talking about it because it's basically the Supreme Court's turned into like a city council now. And once they get the votes, precedent be damned. We're just going to do it because we have the votes. That's not right. the way. I was raised, that's not what I learned in law school about how the Supreme Court respects precedents. It's very concerning. It is, it is very concerning, oh, gosh. Okay, well, okay. So on a, on a nicer note, uh, <laughs> tell us where people can reach you. Oh, you know, I mean, right, I mean, during my days, I work in Hammond City Hall and I'm, I have a, that's my full-time job, but it seems like I'm traveling more and more to big events across the state. Like yesterday, I was in Huntington County I uh, spoke to the Democrats two days before that I was in Fort Wayne speaking to the Democrats. And so I, I do big events. Uh, if you do have big events, I, I ask you to reach out to uh, gomcdermott.com again. Uh, let us know. We have a, a invite calendar on there. And my campaign manager, Kevin Smith, uh, can also be reached. He works uh, at Smith Sersic, attorney at law. I don't want to give his cell phone number out, but easily can be reached. Uh, but 
I think right now my main goal in life is getting signatures, going to big events and raising money uh, in that order, by the way. I think that's really what it's about is getting signatures first, which is most important, going to big events so I can meet Hoosiers and raising money. That's the third priority for me. Todd Young, that's his first priority. That's the difference. Yeah, right, right. Okay, now I have one more other kind of substance of question that, um, that I meant to ask. So tell us what um, your views are on rural issues in Indiana um, and how okay. you can address them. Well, first rural issues. I think one of the bit most pressing rural issues we have in Indiana is broadband and, and the lack of access to broadband for many. I've gone in many houses as I traveled across the state where you can't get a cell phone signal in that house and you certainly can't get a Wi-Fi signal. And this really hits home, not only because people like to watch Netflix and Hulu, but it also hits home for me because as we have this new strain of COVID going around and kids are starting to e-learn again, how could your kid e-learn if you can't even get a Wi-Fi signal? So it's almost like the electricity argument was in the early 1900s for a lot of America. This is the new mandate. Everybody should be able to get access to a cell phone signal and a Wi-Fi signal in our state. And I, I don't want to be the senator that helps make that happen. Great. I think, um, you know, one of the other uh, rural issues that I hear often is really access to health care. All of these hospitals are closing in rural areas mm -hmm. um, and moving to more populated areas. And so uh, and that and of course, that has really impacted our maternal mortality rate in Indiana. Mm -hmm. um, 30 percent of the counties have no uh, prenatal services available. Uh, so, you know, a woman who uh, is pregnant um, by choice or not um, will have to go to another county in many cases just to get prenatal care, which means that they often don't get prenatal care. And, uh, and that, you know, again, uh, contributes to um, our, our increasing maternal mortality rate here in Indiana. Um, I, don't I would know, go so far as to say that's not just a rural issue, though, Deborah. I, I'm, I'm, I'm mayor of the largest city in Northwest Indiana. Uh, one of the largest cities in northern Indiana, and had, our hospital just left the city, just announced it was closing down and moving out. And so I think it's an American problem, first off. But it's, secondly, it's mostly it's, it's a problem if you're poor, from a poorer area where there's less wealth. Right. And, and hospitals don't want to be there because, right. you know, they, they ha it's tough for them, for them to chase money in Hammond, you know, serving Hammond and the south side of Chicago than it is opening up a brand new 10 story hospital in Crown Point, you know? And it's not fair to the residents of Hammond. It's not the right thing to do for the, this Catholic institution. It's certainly not right for that, but it's really, it's a sign of the times in America. And that's a, a we have a healthcare problem and I'm the type of candidate that wants to get in there and guarantee a certain level of healthcare for all Americans, including dental, including hearing, including vision, we shouldn't, that should be the responsibility of the government for where I sit. And I'm not saying I want to take your health care if you have it. I'm saying I want to guarantee all Americans get a certain level of health care. And, and I don't know about the, 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 you know, the university, the hospitals leaving areas like Hammond and not, you know, and leaving rural areas of Indiana. That's a, that's a common problem that has to be addressed as well, Deborah. Right. Um, yeah. And that happened actually in Michigan City as well. Um, in our mm -hmm. downtown area. And there was this kind of- At least they built on the highway though, Deborah. At least they built it there, you know, yeah. the Franciscans also. Yeah, right. Um, so, but there it. certainly was this sense that they they just didn't want to be in neighborhoods where there were poor people who were Thank coming you. in and getting healthcare. 
And well, um, it's, it's a pattern. I mean, as long as we're talking about it in Chicago Heights, same type of situation. It was same St. James. It was also Franciscan Hospital. They shut down and moved to Olympia Fields in Hammond. They shut down and they're moving to Crown Point. Uh, you know, at least in Michigan City, they shut down. At least they stayed in Michigan City on the highway. I mean, at least you got that respect. I didn't even get that yeah. respect in Hammond from the Franciscans. Yeah. So. Oh, yeah. And, um, you know, and I like that you say <laughs> that government should be responsible to provide a level of health care, um, yeah. you know, just like, you know, education and, and criminal justice. There are certain things that really are not designed to be in the hands of for profit corporations. Um, and when people complain about, well, God, the government managing my health care, it's like, OK, well, do you understand that right now your health care is being managed by someone who's only interested in making a profit? <laughs> So that's, right. that's their motivation. And they're not going to cover, you know, certain things for you because it impacts their profit. And of course, and um, I, I can't believe that more business people are not behind uh, universal health care. The cost for businesses has just gone through the roof. And of course, no now it's, it's even worse. You know, people mm -hmm. have delayed health care. And so now the, they're more, you know, intensive treatment and it's more expensive. And, uh, and businesses are seeing those healthcare costs go up and up. And, you know, they have to pass some on to their uh, staff, but th this is not affordable for anybody. And, and at the other end of that whole picture is, you know, corporate CEOs making millions of millions of dollars just in bonuses um, mm -hmm. because, they've, because they've brought in such so much profit to those insurance companies. So, yeah, we um, yeah uh, I, you know, we have to kind of, you know, just remember where we are now <laughs> before, yeah. you know, before you get so afraid of, you know, of, of government run uh, healthcare and, you know, Medicaid, you know, works pretty good. Medicare works pretty good. People like it. Um, so uh, that is a, a good model that we just need to spread. I agree. I agree. So, all right. Well, we've gone on um, probably too long. So I, um, I do want to, I have to make it, you know, I had to make it count if I'm, uh, if I'm on your podcast for the first time, got to make it a good appearance. So Good. Well, I appreciate you doing it and doing a good Thank job. You. And so um, any parting words of wisdom before we leave? Yeah, just, you know, it's time for us to stand up and prove who the boss, who the bosses are in Indiana. And that's us Hoosiers. And Todd Young doesn't have, he doesn't have town halls. He doesn't really care about what we think. And it's time for us to send them back in. And the only way to change Washington, D.C. is one representative and one senator at a time. And let's, let's change Todd Young and put me in there. And I promise you, I'll be a disruptive force and help fix that place. So thank you very much for letting me come on your podcast, Deborah. Great. All right. Now, see, now you always make me think of something else. So there's something else. Though. The other thing is the voter turnout. Um, that mm -hmm. is going to be so crucial. And in, particularly in your area, in St. Joe County, you know, Marion County, Democrats um, are not coming out to vote uh, the way well, they need to. So we've really that's got on to me, out. too. I have to be the type of candidate that gets people want to go out and vote. That's on me, too. So if I can't excite people and get them to show up to vote, then I'm not a very good candidate. So I'm going to take that responsibility onto myself and try to fire up our Democratic base and try to fire up people that you know want to cross over and vote for me to go out there and beat Todd Young next November. Right. And and as you succeed at that, that will bring success to other Democratic candidates um, all down the ballot. Uh, yes, and that I is agree. super important uh, to get Democrats out for for all candidates, for all Democratic candidates. So and you're 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 kind of, you know, lead the, leading the charge on that. You, you're the one it who takes most of the responsibility. 
Next no next November, the U.S. Senate race will be top of the ticket, and that's a big responsibility for me. If if I'm so lucky to be chosen in that regard, I promise I have to be a good leader, and I promise to work hard, knowing that if I have a good showing, it should help everybody on the ticket, and I want to be that that positive force for the ticket. So, excellent. All right, great. Okay, well, thank you again, Mayor, Thanks, for, for doing this. Um, uh, you Bye. know, I'm excited for your campaign, and I thank wish you, I you all it. all the best. All right, I appreciate it.